Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. We dive into what we thought of ESPN's coverage of El Clasico, how the new rule of five substitutes is or isn't a good idea, Fubo agrees a deal to bring more European soccer to streamers, why we now have more soccer leagues available free of charge than ever before, what MLS broadcasts are missing to make them better, and you, the listeners, give us your feedback on whether the Premier League should do a split deal among two major broadcasters. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnair and Kyle Fansler. My name is Christopher Harris. All right, there's so many different places we could start on this week's podcast. And, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, midweek we had Barcelona crashing against uh, Rayo Vallecano and uh, Kuman gets sacked. Uh, but if we rewind slightly to the previous weekend, we had the, the, I mean, the Sunday of all Sundays, Super Sunday. You had El Clasico, you had the uh, Olympic Marseille PSG derby, you had uh, Inter playing uh, Roma, I mean, Manchester United against Liverpool. Uh, Kartik, did it live up to your expectations? No, although I have to say Marseille PSG was a phenomenal match. Another one of those matches that at nil-nil uh, could captivate any non-soccer fan because it was so uh, I, it, it was there was so much drama in that match. But otherwise, no. I, I mean, it was uh, it was a disappointing day. I, I thought the uh, Juve Inter match was was pretty poor. Uh, Juve were fortunate to get a draw. Uh, Man United Liverpool. I think everybody knows what happened. And El Clasico was. Uh, was kind of drab. I mean, to the point where I have to say, I, I was watching, I ended up watching more of uh, Brentford and Leicester, which was a very good match, than El Clasico. Kyle, what about you? I mean, obviously a Barcelona fan must have felt a little bit dejected after that game, but uh, what were your thoughts about El Clasico and how, how that ranked? Yeah, just a, a, a dull game. Um, I thought the goals were fine. Uh, I thought David Alba's uh, goal in the first half was uh, a beauty, for being honest. But uh, yeah, the game, the El Clasico, just really kind of dragged on. It never really like, captivated you. Barcelona, I mean, sure, they dominated possession and whatnot, but they never really looked like they were really threatening the goal like you expect them to do of years past. So I thought it was a very impressive performance for Real Madrid's defense. I know they had some question marks with Varane and Sergio Ramos uh, leaving in the offseason, but uh, I think this was a, a huge performance for them being able to hold Barcelona to one goal in stoppage time. So, yeah, just uh, but as a Barcelona fan, uh, 
not the most uh, enthralling game by any stretch. What was interesting, I think, was the uh, the coverage of El Clasico. And, and we talked about this on the podcast last week a little bit. But uh, they had a one-hour pregame show on ESPN2 on Sunday morning. And uh, live from the parking lot at Camp Nou with uh, Dan Thomas and uh, Alejandro Moreno. And discussing the game and then going pitch side to Luis Suarez and, and, and the rest of the ESPN crew asking for um, even their analysis and the pregame. Also going to the booth and talking to uh, Maka and Ian Dark. And overall, I thought it was very, um, very salesy. It just seemed to be very hypey, very, okay, hey, this is going to be the biggest game uh, in a while. This is going to be live on ESPN+. And it, it felt like... It, it felt like almost like an infomercial, Kartik. Do, do you agree? Yeah, and, and my understanding is all day on uh, Saturday uh, during college football games, there was uh, nonstop, whether it was in the corner of the screen or, or ads for this match being on ESPN+. Plus. So clearly Disney saw it as a... Um, as an opportunity to get new signups, right? I think that that's, uh, that's, that's what they, they viewed it as. But yeah, the pregame show was very salesy. I was um, somewhat disappointed. I mean, the thing that we've become accustomed to through the years with, uh, particularly with Dan Thomas hosted ESPN programs. And by the way, they've come back to form since that match. The ESPN FC the last few nights, whether it's been Kay Murray or Dan Thomas hosting have been fantastic. The one thing we've gotten used to with, with, with shows that Dan Thomas hosts is a tactical breakdown. It's a lot of really um, tough questions being asked of the panelists and, and, and of the guests. And instead, it seemed like the, the direction in this show was very salesy. Let's not, let's not stir it up in terms of saying, well, maybe Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't as good as they've been, or maybe this isn't a vintage El Clasico. It became very much about how this is, a, this is such an important match and how uh, these two teams are, are effectively still the best two teams in, in the world, which I think uh, clearly are, is not the case, particularly in Barcelona's uh, uh, in the case of Barcelona, the last two times they played Bayern Munich, what they've been outscored eleven to two, I think, in, over those two matches. So, clearly a, a wide gap there. But yeah, it was very salesy, which was I'm used to from NBC. I'm getting used to a bit from CBS. I'm not used to from ESPN. It was very much out of the out of somewhat some other network's playbook. I would have to say it was very un ESPN like. Yeah, and I would say that Sid Lowe's analysis. Uh uh, pre-match was probably the only part of the analysis that I was like, okay, that's some good points there. I was I wasn't thinking thinking about that. Uh, a lot of the other content uh, was stuff we we've heard over and over throughout the week. In ESPN's defense, though, I think in many ways having the studio outside Camp Nou in the parking lot. I mean, it's the probably the next closest thing to being in the stadium. And the stadium, the, the new camp, uh, is outdated. It's in the future supposed to be going through kind of a, uh, a rebuilding and, 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 I mean, just to bring it up to, to modern requirements. And my feeling is probably within the stadium itself that either wasn't space available or there weren't the, the setup available for ESPN to have their desk and everything that they needed in the stadium. Now, ESPN Deporters, I didn't watch the, the coverage there, but I did see some pictures and it looked like what ESPN Deporters did was they went to a rooftop of a hotel in Barcelona, beautiful views of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and did the broadcast from the top of the hotel. And, and I think in many ways, 
that probably would have been better. We didn't really need to be outside Camp Nou. I mean, and, and, and even in the background, you could see some of the people filtering in, but it wasn't kind of in, in a section of the outside of the stadium where you're going to see some action in the background. It, I don't think it was that important for us to actually be there. I mean, yes, to be in Barcelona, but to be outside the stadium. Kyle, what about you? I mean, you're a Barcelona fan, obviously watching El Clasico, tuning in for the game, hoping that the team wins. But for you, I mean, are you tuning in early to watch the pre-match? Are, are you kind of focusing on the halftime or are you just focusing on, on the game itself, which is the most important part? Traditionally, I'd say I kind of focus on the game itself, but obviously with El Clasico, you know, I'm going to watch as much pre-game coverage as I can. I think you're spot on with, I don't think that the, the spot that, ESPN FC uh, set up their desk was necessarily the best. I, th- I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was just uh, on a street next to the new camp, and you know we didn't really get too much action behind us. And I think, like if you were mentioning ESPN Deportes, what they had with a, a view of the Mediterranean in the background, that would have served the viewers a lot better. Because I don't know if it's ESPN being able, being unable, excuse me, to uh, just not get a prime spot, or if, like you said, uh, the new camp doesn't have certain uh, facilities or anything like that, but. We just didn't really get much from where the, the setup was. Um, uh, I'm not really as critical as some might be into what they cover on pregame shows. Um, really, I'm just there to, you know, get the news and, you know, what are the starting lineups, anything we got to keep an eye on. And you, as a Barcelona fan, generally speaking, I know what they're going to be talking about, so it's a little different. Um, so, uh, but, you know, with all the, the Ronald Koeman stuff going into the game and, you know, his job security, whether that was on the line, I thought, you know, they made some nice points there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those few exceptions where I did actively watch the pregame show, especially since at that time there wasn't too much other competition in terms of sports, at least uh, at least for me. Yeah, so speaking of being outside the stadium for a big event, that was what happened this past weekend with the uh, Premier League Fan Festival uh, that was outside the uh, LA uh, Coliseum there. And it was interesting, too, because I I think now, having watched it this past weekend, now we pretty much know why NBC Sports hasn't gone to the West Coast in the past. I mean, they've done events in D.C., New York, uh, Miami, uh, uh, Boston, etc., um, but going to the West Coast, I mean, we, we've been fans of uh, different I mean, Premier League clubs or our own Premier League clubs. I mean, Swansea for me, Kartik with Man City. So we've watched Premier League uh, football on U.S. television for since probably the last 20 years or so. And uh, we always hear stories about, you mean, people on the West Coast in, in California waking up at the crack of dawn to go to watch a game at, at a local pub. And but having actually watching it and watching the build up and tuning in on on a Saturday morning at seven thirty Eastern time, which is pretty early, but then seeing the live coverage from outside the stadium in Los Angeles at four thirty in the morning with a lot of these fans staying uh, queuing up overnight to be there. And the absolute pitch darkness of 4.30 in the morning, Los Angeles. Uh, I think NBC Sports did the best that they could, given the situation, which is um, the time difference. And and also with COVID's restrictions. And, I mean, there's not going to be as many people coming out as normal. But the indications were, I think, on the Saturday games, about 2,000 fans in attendance. And I think on the... Uh, the Sunday games, about uh, 10,000 people there in attendance, which is, which is decent. But having it at the Memorial Coliseum Stadium, 
I was thinking originally that they were going to use the inside of the stadium, that they were going to go ahead and actually try to get as many people in the stadium as possible and set, set up camp within there. I did not expect it to be outside the stadium. Kartik, what about you? Yeah, I was a little little surprised by that. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, there, you, you have um, – just certain degrees of feasibility, I guess, uh, in terms of, of where you can set something like that up. Uh, now, we, you and I were both at a soccer X that was inside a, a baseball stadium, yeah. the Miami Marlins Stadium, in, uh, which is the dearly, was the dearly departed Orange Bowl. By the way, that is the only time for listeners that I have made. I had vowed when the Orange Bowl was knocked down, I would never even pass this new stadium on the road, let alone go inside I made one exception for this one event, and that was it. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I assumed it would be the same thing for this fan fest. And, in fact, we got a preview on Friday uh, when uh, the Friday match, the Arsenal play on Friday. Aston Villa match, thank you, uh, where they were standing outside. And I thought, okay, that's just because the fan fest hasn't started. So I was even fooled by that. I thought, okay, logically it's going to be inside. But it wasn't. Uh, but it was a, a, a smashing success, and I think the Premier League was very, very happy and impressed with it, and, and uh, particularly with the fact that you had people queuing up at, at midnight and 1 a.m. L.A. time to get in. Yeah, for me, it gave me a better appreciation for the West Coasters, the Pacific uh, Coasters. I mean, I, I know, I mean, I, I mean, I've read stories, I've talked to many of them over the years, I mean, like running WorldSoccerTalk.com. And I mean, I know that, that, that everything that they have to go through to watch games that early, but seeing it on television gave me a better appreciation of everything that they do. And, and the fans were pumped up. I mean, definitely, uh, you mean, seeing whether it's... Uh, Chelsea fans or fans of any club from the Premier League uh, there in that uh, outside that that stadium was pretty impressive. What about you, Kyle? Did you get a chance to watch uh, any of the Fan Fest this past weekend? Yeah, I did, and I just gotta say uh, what a great job NBC. Did. I, actually, I gotta say uh, I never really understood the struggle that the West Coasters had. I mean, I'm, I've grew up in in Florida, so all the Premier League I've watched, and I used to make a big fuss about how oh, I don't want to wake up at seven thirty to watch a Premier League game, but you know, you realize that when they're waking up to watch those early kickoffs, it's four thirty. It's four thirty when the game starts. So if they want to go to a pub or to someone's house to watch the game, they got to leave their house at four in the morning, and I just never really fathomed that. And then at the same time, you got to think for NBC's crew, they got to be set up at their show starts at seven Eastern, so four Western. And I mean, they got to be probably at the set or studio and stadium uh, two hours before then, probably an hour and a half at least. And that's just that's too early for me. If you, um, so, but uh, I thought the I thought that everything went pretty well. I think you guys were right. The I expected them to be in the stadium as well, but I, I mean, they may do with what they got and. Uh, just a logistical nightmare, at least from my perspective of it, trying to coordinate all the fans, going around with all the games, and still providing their normal studio shows. I think that's a really challenging thing to do, and I think uh, based on what they were given and all the restrictions that they had, I thought they did an overall pretty well. Yeah, it was a nice change of pace to watch that, uh, to kind of break up the, uh, I mean, what very uh, kind of predictable weekend of uh, Premier League coverage from NBC Sports. It's good, but it's very predictable in terms of the format. So this broke it up, broke it up big time, and you saw some different things, some fun things that you normally don't see. And, um, and also, too, I think post-pandemic, or at least kind of as pandemic is, is, 
improving in terms of us getting back into normal life. It's good to see fans in person. It's good to have people get together. It's um, it's refreshing and, and it's encouraging. And that's the thing about NBC Sports, though, too, is these events that they've been doing for the last, um, what, uh, two to three years at least, are all run by NBC Sports. It gives them a massive... Um, basically kind of an advantage when they go into uh, trying to renew the rights to the the Premier League, uh, competing against the CBS, competing against ESPN, uh, etc. And it's something that NBC Sports have gone ahead and and created these events and and done it nationwide. They've run it. It's not the Premier League that's running it. It's NBC Sports that are running it. What happens at these events is that, um, yes, the Premier League will help out as much as they can and will have the clubs helping out as much as they can. But the Premier League goes to these events to watch how NBC Sports does it. How do they pull it off? How do they figure out a way to get um, the viewers pumped up and registered and and going there? Not only that, but when the event starts, how do you keep it entertaining or interesting? All these different dynamics. And NBC Sports, out of everything that they've done, this is probably one of their... I mean, in terms of doing the fan festivals versus everything else that they've done for the Premier League... It has made a difference. I mean, ESPN doesn't do events like this. In neither does CBS Sports for soccer. Um, I mean, neither does Fox. So sometimes you have La Liga hosting some watch parties for El Clasico. Sometimes the Bundesliga might do something similar, but nothing on a scale of this. So it gives NBC Sports one advantage versus the competition. Now, in the TV rights uh, battle, of course, it depends on money and depends on. Uh, distribution. It depends on what are you going to uh, provide to the Premier League and, and how are you going to broadcast it. But this is one area that NBC Sports excels in um, that gives them an opportunity to perhaps gives them a good chance of, of maybe perhaps getting this renewal. Yeah, Chris, if I could, if I could ask you and Kartik, does the I think the Premier League looks at something like this and they say, well, they're obviously committed to bringing new ideas and we'll kind of give them a, a little nudge or a little, you know. Favoring does, does the Premier League at all? Do they kind of look at things like that or anything related? I think so. I think so. And it's one of those things that uh, when the Premier League looks at this, they probably say like, "Hey, I mean, if could we, could we do this by ourselves? Could we host an event wherever it would be in the United States and plan it and get the word out about it and uh, host it and run it and and then all of the behind the scenes stuff as far as you mean." The crews, the, the the insurance, the liability, the, the you mean the the actual staffing and all those nuts and bolts, which I'm sure are very very complex. But the Premier League probably looks at it and goes, okay, yeah, we're getting some good ideas from this, but we don't think the league itself can go ahead and and actually host an event and have it be as successful as what NBC Sports is doing. Because NBC Sports is leveraging, you mean, you see promos, you see information about these events, not only in television, but also through the social media channels, through their websites, and probably a whole host of other places as well as advertising. So, yeah, I think definitely the Premier League looks at this and goes, you know what, even if Comcast and NBC Sports comes in with a renewal bid, and maybe it's a little bit less than, say, CBS Sports, um, you mean this this is worth a lot of money in itself in terms of these fan fests because it does get the premier league into into the the, the cities face to face with with soccer fans and that is a huge 
connection and and that's something too when i went to the um the fan festival two years ago in miami beach seeing these fans face to face and talking to them and then them talking to the nbc sports crew and talking to some of the uh, you mean the, the people from the premier league clubs it's something that i don't think other than going to a game to an mls game and cheering on your team and then maybe after the game trying to maybe get in and see if you can get an autograph or something like that that's the closest you can get to something like this so it's really bringing the premier league from england into the different cities around the us and and it does give nbc sports a huge advantage and i don't think the premier league could do it without them now speaking yeah i go ahead i I agree on that and i I would say i think um the Premier League, and again, they're under different uh, management now, but in 2015, when they rejected a joint bid from Fox and ESPN and allowed the incumbent NBC to just continue, I think part of their, their thinking on that was NBC had done such a good job in, at that point in the previous two seasons of promoting the league. And I can't remember if they had had a fan fest. They may have had one by that point. But just generally, the way they were presenting the league was a major upgrade over what ESPN and Fox had provided the, the, the cycle prior to that. So, uh, and Chris, you remember, you broke the story that they had rejected the, uh, the joint bid um, at the time in, in August or September of 2015. I think part of the consideration was that uh, they just felt like NBC was doing a better job promoting the league. Now, we're in a different place. We're, post, uh, we're trying to come out of COVID. There has been significant monetary loss for everybody in football because of the pandemic. So maybe, maybe this time it's more about who, who puts up the most money than, than it was the last time we did this. Yeah, the last time, this is, this is going to date me now, but the last time I can remen- remember having type, these types of fan events uh, being a soccer fan in the U.S. and you mean getting close with players, or, or kind of basically, you mean really an exciting type of environment for soccer fans uh, at an event was the World Cup in 1994. Going to a lot of these fan events that they had, where they would have, oh gosh, they'd have different events where you'd have different players signing autographs. You'd have uh, kind of a, almost a, a carnival atmosphere in many ways. But it was it was fun. It was exciting, and it definitely uh, built the awareness about what was happening. You mean basically with the World Cup at that time. But but uh, in terms of one more thing, I want to mention too from this past week is that Wednesday night. So we're recording this on Thursday. Wednesday night, Major League Soccer had um, twelve games on one night in one night. So out of these twelve games, ten of these games were either played at the same time. Or, or they overlapped with one another. And the reason I mention this, too, is that we talk about the Premier League and the Fan Fests, and we talk about El Clasico and Barcelona and Real Madrid, and we talk about, you mean, the, the French uh, Olympic Marseille, I mean, against uh, PSG, etc., etc., etc. And MLS, meanwhile, is getting lost in the shuffle. And I think part of it is, too, is that, is that, that there, are, there is good football being played in these games. So... As a neutral, as somebody who wants to watch more of MLS, uh, I think somebody tweeted, one of the soccer media uh, professionals in the U.S. tweeted like, oh my gosh, I can't, get, I, I can't wait for the, uh, the games on Wednesday night. This is going to be really interesting in MLS. And I said, well, tell me, like, which games should I be watching? Because I, I don't know. I mean, which game is the most important game that I should watch where something's going to happen? And he replied back to say, well, I'm not sure. I'm probably going to be watching everything. 
Well, that doesn't help me because I, <laughs> I, I need someone to help me as a neutral to guide me to, hey, this is the game to watch. And so I ended up watching Atlanta United against Inter Miami, which was an okay game. It wasn't the greatest game. But I think MLS, more than any other league, needs a whip around show. And um, I mean, if you're a neutral and you want to get more familiar with MLS, which game do you watch? And I would have loved to have been able to watch a whip around show that had, I mean, basically showed the goals and highlights of what was happening, almost like the the Golasso show on CBS Sports or Zona Football on uh, Tudo Ene or Multi-Match 90 that uh, Fox Soccer Channel used to have. But have MLS or one of the broadcasters go ahead and show me all, all of the goals and all of the incidents as they happen. And, uh, and I think at the end of the day, it would make me more appreciative of the games that I would have caught all the, the great moments from the games. And as a result, recording this on Thursday morning, I missed most of the, the best things that happened on Wednesday night because I, I didn't know which game to tune into. And so on Thursday morning, I see it on Twitter. I'll see a, a clip of a bicycle kick or a, a long-range shot, whatever it may be. Well, so for, for social media, that's great. But for TV broadcasts and TV ratings and number of people tuning in to watch a game, that doesn't help me. You I mean, that's not going to impact the number of viewers for a game between Portland and, and whoever. Um, anyway, that's, uh, I wanted to just mention that, too, is that um, that's something that I think MLS, more than any other league, desperately needs. When I did interview one of the top executives at MLS recently, and I mentioned the whip around show idea, I think he agreed, but he didn't really have anything to say on the record at this time. But it is an issue, and hopefully uh, it's something that... Uh, Maybe they'll look at in the future because it's definitely going to help the league, especially when you have so many games being played uh, almost at the same time in one night. I mean, 12 games. Uh, what about you, Kartik? Would you watch a uh, whip around show? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good idea. I think the, the, the great challenge with MLS is that, uh, and this is why, for example, I'm not very familiar with the league anymore, is that there are new teams every year. And because there's an expansion draft every year, players are moving pretty rapidly. So, Given that you have so many teams now, and the the MLS I I was uh, obsessive about the MLS that I watched, I used to watch every single game, right? And if I didn't see them live, I would I would tape them. I'm talking about every single game in the league, not of a specific team. Um, was an MLS which had 14 teams or 16 teams. Now there, I don't even know how many teams there are. 28, 30, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also uh, important. I think for 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 people who may be casually following MLS that have followed the league in the past and have dropped off, which there are a number of people. I'm not, I'm not uh, the only one in this category to actually have a, a whip around show as a refresher to see where players are, who some of the new teams are. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're more compelling to us. So yeah, I think it, it, it serves m- multiple purposes. Now, where would you put that whip around show? Would you put it on ESPN? Well, they're negotiating a new TV deal. Right. Uh, would, would it be with, would it be one part of one of the packages? Would it be a standalone that MLS, uh, soccer.com streams? How would you do it? That's another uh, logistical question. Well, I think that gives the advantage though to CBS. Cause if CBS comes in and says, Hey, you know, with the uh, MLS TV deal or media deal, um, not only are we interested, but we will put together a Golasso show for, for Major League Soccer. And, and this is just hypothetical, right? This is just, I mean, kind of thinking outside the box. Today, currently, 
it's probably ESPN Plus just because um, most of those games, most of those 12 games, I think maybe like 10 of those games nationally were on ESPN Plus. Um, and CBS Sports maybe could be a good bet for, for the Galassa show, kind of an MLS version of that. Now, the issue then, though, too, is that they may not have all the rights to all the games. But if that is the streaming component, uh, component if Paramount Plus is the MLS streaming uh, place to go, and then some of the other broadcasters have the TV games. That's okay, and I think I think what you said though, Kartik, is talk, which is c- completely true. I mean, to me, it's all about the nationwide audi- audience. So if I'm a, a neutral, and and I want, and, and they definitely want to increase the the numbers of people watching games nationally, a, a whip around show or something like that would would be ideal because then you can actually. Have somebody watching, you know, two hours of soccer, um, whether it's on streaming or, or television. But it's a nationwide audience; everyone's tuning in to watch that, as opposed to what it is now, which it is very regionalized. It's like, okay, if you want to watch into Miami and you live in the Miami area, then you watch the the local broadcast on the local regional channel for that game. Now, if you live in that area, or well, maybe you live in, say, Palm Beach, you live an hour out of there, and you want to watch that game you're blacked out you can't watch it you're unable to watch it you only you're, the only way you can watch it is through that local channel and it does make it more i think the regional regionalization of uh games in mls holds back the league especially from the national tv viewing perspective i mean there's too many hoops and hurdles to, to jump over or, or through for it yeah, yes, but I think that those deals were negotiated when regional sports networks were much more powerful. We have to go back to 2015 when this deal was negotiated. Uh, regional, the RSNs were an important component for MLS to develop a local fan base. And MLS's kickoff times, this is another thing that may be prohibitive about a whip-around show. MLS's kickoff times are set for ticket sales, not for TV, which is very different than some of the leagues in Europe. By the way, uh, the Premier League doesn't set any kickoff times based on what the local audience wants. And that, that's True. a bugaboo for many fans in England. So, um, and, I, and I know this specifically from working in the lower divisions that when we had Gold TV at NASL and then we had BN uh, at CBS Sports Network, we had one year. The kickoff times were based on, uh, on uh, uh, ticket sales and the times we shifted kickoff times for CBS Sports Network specifically, uh, we had some of the lowest attendances of the year. So that's another consideration for MLS. I I do think, uh, and the indication was from your interview and and from everything we've heard, that they may bundle these local rights, cut the RSN thing out, bundle local uh, broadcast rights, and sell it as a package for uh, uh, the, the packaging package beginning in 2023. So there may be a whip around show built into that. All right, Kyle. Having said all that, uh, what's your recommended game for the weekend? Is it MLS? Yeah. No, unfortunately, it's not MLS. That being said, I did actually watch some of those games this week. Uh, I don't usually watch a lot of MLS, but I did watch some of the games. But yeah, my game this week is actually uh, on Monday. It's it's Wolves uh, uh, hosting Everton. It's Monday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time uh, on NBCSN and Universo. Um, it's an interesting game just because you know. I could talk about Manchester United, Tottenham, but I think that Manchester United struggles. We all know it. Uh, you know, Tottenham struggles. We all know it. But Wolves and Everton are a couple of interesting cases. They're two teams that uh, are always dark horses to get into European competition. Um, Wolves obviously struggled to start the season. I think they had three 
1-0 losses in the first four weeks, but since then they have three wins in four Premier League games, and Everton at the same time, you know, they're one of those teams that's done pretty well in the Premier League, especially considering that they're not a traditional big six team. They're still in that European comp- or European talk uh, for next season. So an important game on uh, on Monday night for both of these teams. Um, obviously, Wolves is in pretty decent form right now. Uh, I can't. I don't know the same about Everton. I honestly have not been following them as much as I would like to this season. But yeah, an interesting game. Um, should be uh, good to see how these two teams play out. Uh, I always like these, t- uh, these kind of games between teams that. Uh, you don't normally watch just because it gives you a chance to... It gives you a reason to watch them, and this is exactly uh, one of those kind of examples. Yeah, and this weekend too, on Sunday, the, 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 the clocks change in Europe, but they don't change in America. So so that game, that Wolves-Everton game, would usually be a 3 p.m. Eastern time game on a Monday, uh, starting well, for, a, I think, about a week. So we'll, we'll have games an hour later. So that game is going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Monday Live on NBCSN and Universo. On uh, Sunday, speaking of clocks changing uh, in Europe, uh, Roma against Milan, usually at 2.45 Eastern. This will be 3.45 Eastern. And, uh, I mean, Roma, again, with uh, Jose going through a little bit of a tough tough patch, uh, losing some games, coming back to to kind of uh, get some points back. And then Milan, top of the table. I'm just really interested in this one in terms of... uh, watching this game and seeing basically sitting back and hoping for the best uh, enjoyment in terms of a really tactical game on Paramount Plus Kartik what, what about you what are you looking forward to the watching this weekend yeah I love Kyle's choice by the way I think that uh, if you haven't watched Wolves this season in particular uh, Everton have had some in, uh, injury problems lately DeCorey's out for a couple months Calvert-Lewin has been out since the third match of the season but if you haven't watched Wolves yet this season you're missing out they uh, under Br- Bruno Laga who uh, you, you're somewhat familiar with, uh, Chris, who was a former assistant at Swansea, uh, they're playing more attractive football than they did under Nuno. I think under Nuno, they, play, they, they used the wingbacks a lot to get forward, uh, whether it was Traore or uh, Doherty or, or, or uh, whoever, and, uh, and whipped crosses in for Raul Jimenez. This year, it looks feels like they're playing, well, and the results are now beginning to come, as Kyle mentioned, but they're playing so just spectacular football not not quite quite brighton-esque yet but they're close to that so i i think that was a great recommendation for me i'm stepping down a division uh fulham and west brom is saturday morning at 7 30 a.m eastern time on espn plus my thinking about the championship which i follow closely is that uh Bournemouth is going to get promoted under former Fulham manager Scott Parker. I think they're clearly the best team in the division. One of these two teams will get, will get the other automatic promotion spot. The other one will fall into the playoff where anything can happen. Uh, Chris, you've seen uh, West Brom against Swansea recently, and, and, and Swansea do very well. So uh, both these teams, to be honest with you, have been, uh, even though they're near the top of the table, they have not been as good as I thought they would be this season in the championship. I think uh, uh, it's an important match for both ga- uh, teams. And as I said, one of these two teams is going to get pro- promoted automatically, in my opinion, and the other is not. So it's a really big game. Yeah, that one's Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. That game in, in particular, Kartik uh, and Kyle, I'm really interested in watching because of one reason. Yes, definitely the football, Fulham against West Brom should be a good game. But the stadium, so Craven Cottage, probably one of my 
my favorite stadiums in world football, just a quaint ground. And now in the past year, the, they've completely redeveloped the Riverside stand. It's not completely done yet. It won't be done until, I think, um, probably next season or at least the, the spring or summer. And uh, what's different about this, though, too, is if you watch this game, where the cameras are, are placed to actually broadcast the game, it's a completely different view of what Craven Cottage looks like because we've been used to Craven Cottage. The camera's been on that side of the ground, and it's really pretty close down uh close to the pitch now with the new riverside stand that's not completed but the cameras are in position it's higher up it's almost like watching um games from anfield if you're used to watching games uh, liverpool home games over the last say 10 years you would have been pretty used to having the 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 field level or not field level but higher than that um the actual camera angles and camera viewpoints um, be pretty consistent. And in the last couple of years, with them expanding the stadium uh, and moving the, ca- the cameras up higher, it gives you a different vantage point. So, yeah, so f- the football, absolutely I'm interested, but I'm also really excited about the Riverside Stand uh, in Craven Cottage, right on the banks of the River Thames in London. Just one of the most idyllic settings for a uh, soccer stadium in uh in second division football from around the world. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news, Kartik, and I'll have you kick it off with the big one. Yeah, so Fox Sports is close to a deal that would allow Fubo TV, who they once invested in uh, prior to the divestment with, uh, with, uh, of assets to Disney, uh, to stream an unspecified number of its UEFA matches starting in the run-up to the 2024 European Championship Tournament, according to Sports. Business Journal. The two sides have largely agreed on deal terms. A formal announcement will come once this deal is completed uh, within the next two weeks. Uh, UEFA Euro 2024 qualifying tournament will be played from March 2023 to March 2024 as it's currently scheduled, right? We know uh, there's been flux in the calendar between the pandemic and a winter World Cup in Qatar and now this talk of every two-year World Cup. But that's uh, when it's supposed to be played. And uh, as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they had once uh, 21st Century Fox, before they divested their assets uh, to, uh, to Disney, had invested uh, in Fubo. So it makes sense for that reason. Uh, secondly, Fubo TV, as its name indicates, began its life as a soccer-specific service. So it knows the audience, uh, particularly for qualifying matches, niche things like qualifying matches, midweek European qualifying matches, probably better than any other uh, uh, of its competitors. Yeah, this one's a fascinating one because um, the lead-off, we, we, th- we think this is just going to be the European qualifiers for the 2024 World, uh, European Championship. But it sounds like it's also going to be some of the games from Euro 2024 also. So um, they haven't determined or haven't announced uh, how many games FUBO will get or which games FUBO will get. But the way it'll work is Fox Sports will go ahead and cherry-pick the games that it wants to show on on Big Fox Network, FS1, maybe FS2, and then we'll say, okay, to uh, F- uh, Fubo TV, okay, we've got all these other games available. Uh, do you want to go ahead and have the, the exclusive rights to, to stream these games? And, and then in the meantime, too, Tubi, the streaming solution from Fox, uh, which includes a sports on Tubi section, they will also uh, broadcast some of those games through their free streaming app. Now, uh, when it comes to t- time to watching those games on Tubi, maybe at that point in time they would uh, actually it would be a paid uh, package to get the, the games. We don't, we don't know yet, but it's interesting because 
it, it's small in many ways because uh, with this deal, I think there's a I mean, when you include all the qualifiers, when you include the um, all the games available, and also Euro 2024 and Euro 2028, and all the qualifiers. I think there's over a thousand games in, in total. There's a, there's a huge number of games, so it only makes sense for Fox Sports to say we'll cherry pick. We can't show all the games. We don't have enough bandwidth. Fubo has unlimited bandwidth. They can have unlimited channels. They can show all the games on streaming. They don't have kind of some of the obstacles that TV linear has. And 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 all in all, I think this is a smart move uh, for Fox. It gives them the big games and Fubo. It gives them more subscribers who want to watch uh, the other games that matter. I mean, all these are big games in many ways. And uh, we will have to wait and see. The, the, the deal is supposed to be signed within the next two weeks. And uh, this is a big play. The other interesting thing, though, about this, Kartik, and, and Kyle, too, is I wonder... I mean, this, is a, this sends a big sig- signal. If Fubo is able to do a deal with Fox Sports, why isn't Fubo able to do a deal with um, whether it's NBC or uh, or ESPN or some of these other big players when it comes to the Premier League? Is there a way that you can see Fubo getting involved in saying, okay, we'll do a deal with NBC Sports and NBC Sports, you'll have all the games on television and we'll go ahead and have some of these games on Fubo and then also maybe some of these games on Peacock. But I mean, could you see that happening, Kartik, or is that kind of out of the question? No, I think it's it's in theory possible, but uh, it's also in theory possible that NBC or ESPN or CBS could go to Amazon or Turner, Turner, HBO, or AT&T owned things, HBO Max would be the, the uh, I think, the service they would use, uh, or, uh, or someone else in the kind of high-profile streaming space and do the same sort of deal, and they have their own streaming properties they're trying to build up. I actually think with ESPN it would be a non-starter. They're into stuffing everything on ESPN+. Plus With... Um, NBC, maybe it, maybe it is an option actually because I don't think I, I don't think the Peacock thing is going as well as potentially they wanted to, and if they could reserve if they could do a split because we we saw this at times remember with the Premier League when it was split between ESPN and Fox where there were games that would go to ESPN three or ESPN three sixty maybe it's still been called at the time right but there were games that would go there that Fox didn't have bandwidth for on their streaming platforms. Uh, and, and so I could see NBC doing something similar because, uh, quite honestly, it, Peacock has a problem even with the way the interface is if they, have, um, if they have more than three Premier League games running simultaneously to find the games. Unlike CBS, which has made it very easy to find Champions League games. Once you're in the Champions League tab, uh, you, can, you, can hit, uh, um, you can hit play and it'll give you a random game, or you can hit the schedule and you'll have everything right there. NBC doesn't have that sort of function, functionality. It, it appears in Peacock. If they do have it, they haven't showcased it, right? Uh, so they may have a problem uh, going forward, particularly if they have to pay um, a premium to, to, to keep the rights, which it appears they're going to have to. So maybe this is an option for them. But I, I would say it's also equally an option for them that they go to Prime or they go to, uh, they go to HBO Max or someone else as well. Yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, it, this is a big deal for Fubo. This puts them on the map even more again, right? They have the Conmebol World Cup qualifying rights that they went direct and, and got those rights. 
Now they've done a deal with Fox to share the uh, Euro 2024 qualifiers and potentially the actual tournament, as well as potentially Euro 2028. That puts them on the map big time. We already, most of our listeners know about Fubo, especially from the soccer side of things. I mean, they've covered the game since the beginning. They started started as a soccer streaming uh, service and, uh, I mean, over time morphed into more of an entertainment, news, sports and everything on there. Um, so Fubo, I mean, the only one disadvantage is is the cost, which is roughly, what, $65 a month. Um, but oftentimes you get what you pay for. I mean, Fubo is a solid, uh, kind of really robust, top-level streaming service that has almost everything. It has all your uh, games on Fox. It has all the ESPN games. It has all the, uh, the NBC games. And the competitors don't. The competitors with Sling, you have to get you mean, a Sling Orange plus a Sling Blue plus some of these other uh, options. And then you still can't get everything that, that Fubo offers. Now, Fubo, you mean, is costly, but but Kyle, there's uh, there's some news that came out that you reported on recently, uh, where people can watch games for free. Yeah, and I know a lot of uh, our listeners and readers are fans of the smaller leagues, especially in Europe. So, eleven and one football, they announced that they're going to be teaming up to broadcast nine European leagues, and out of respect for my own dignity, I'm going to avoid the actual names of the leagues and just rattle off the actual countries where their top flights are going to be on 11-1 football. And it's it's Iceland, it's Kazakhstan, Latvia, Northern Ireland, Norway, uh, Slovakia, Switzerland, Poland, and Denmark. All of those leagues, their top flights are going to be on 11-1 football. And for those unfamiliar with those two uh, services, 11 actually has some channels on Fubo TV. Or actually, I don't know if it's on Fubo TV. You guys can correct me if I'm think, wrong. But yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so they actually have some channels on uh, some of these providers. So there will be some games from the aforementioned leagues that will be on these, like uh, like Fubo TV or, or Sling. But then One Football will also have a number of these games, and the One Football is like eleven a free service, and they actually started out as just a way to to find scores and lineups and whatnot. So they're one of those uh, programs and platforms that's moving into broadcasting games, and this is a big deal for them and uh, being able to broadcast nine different leagues. And you know these leagues, I mean, no, they're not the Bundesliga, they're not La Liga or Premier League, but there's a lot of great teams. Um, there are always Cinderella runs coming out of these these countries, um, Switzerland in particular. I mean. There's no secret that young boys beating Manchester United in Week One in the Champions League, uh, they're always a dark horse. Um, I mean, just look at the the leagues again. Uh, and Poland, I mean, we all know mm-hmm. Lechia Warsaw. They're always one of those teams that's making a run um, in the Champions League or the Europa League. So it's an interesting deal just because there's nine leagues involved. It's obviously not a small number when it comes to broadcasting soccer leagues and. At the same time, this is a worldwide deal. I mean, there's a couple exceptions, obviously. Um, there are regional deals that some leagues already have in place, particularly in uh, the Scandinavian countries. They have their own kind of their own kind of deal where they broadcast each other's leagues. But for everyone else, they're going to really have an easy opportunity now to watch these leagues. So I think the United States, we get uh, eight of these. I think there's one exception. It's uh, the Polish Ekstraklasa. And... But other than that, it's eight leagues that people now have the opportunity to watch. So it should be interesting to see how effective that is in growing 11-1 and football. Mm-hmm. And by the same time, growing those leagues to have a uh, an American audience or just a worldwide audience in general. 
yeah, one football, you can get the app and watch those games for free. Uh, it, it's a smart move by the leagues themselves too to kind of partner together to say, okay, let's let's represent uh, the nine of us together can be more powerful than each of us separately. I mean, if uh, if the Kazakhstan Kazakhstan league came to the United States and say, hey, we want to do a deal. I mean, they're probably not going to get much uh, <laughs> opportunities, but the nine of them together, it's like, hey, okay, we've got nine leagues that we can offer you. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I think, uh, I mean, not everyone's going to be interested in these leagues, but it does go to show in terms of the amount of competition that our own domestic league, I mean, Major League Soccer, I mean, the top flight domestic league, as well as USL, as well as NISA, has where a lot of these leagues from around the world are as accessible, um, some of them free, as our own domestic leagues. And it makes it a really competitive landscape. It makes it really difficult for the domestic leagues. I think that's the opportunity that they are missing out on. These teams, these leagues are based in the United States, but I don't see much outreach nationally. I mean, in their local markets, yes, but uh, that's, that's the, I guess, the obstacle or the challenge that they're facing is like, how do we... Uh, how do we stay relevant nationwide when each of the individual leagues are just focused on a small area? Well, how do how do we build a national audience? Um, we could do a whole podcast on that. But but when the competition is offering games for free and games that are as accessible uh, as as any other other teams uh, nationwide, it, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, I I actually I, I'm wondering and I'm actually going to make some calls in the next few days to see how this is going down because I think one of the things that um, the lower divisions in this country outside of USL uh, had going for them is that if you if you did broadcast on 11 which um, uh, quite frankly every league I've, I've dealt with does uh, with the exception of PASL we, uh, that league that, that I work do some work with is uh, is exclusively on YouTube but um, that you were if you go to 11 sports, you could find the matches for these U.S. lower division uh, teams. Or uh, if you had a specific team like him or she, we, we do our things. It's a club I'm the vice president of. We do everything through 11. Um, you could find the games. Now that you've got higher profile leagues, and, and, and previously it was second and third divisions from Europe that were on 11 competing with uh, third and fourth divisions here. So it wasn't as big an obstacle. But now that you have... Uh, the leagues that Kyle mentioned, first divisions on 11, I think it becomes more prohibitive for uh, teams in, in the United States in lower divisions that have been relying on actually that service to get whatever limited uh, fan base they have engaged with the, with the product, uh, people who are not at the games. And particularly during the pandemic, 11 sports became critical for a lot of these teams to even survive. Yeah, it could also have the opposite effect, though, Kartik, where it brings somebody in that wants to watch a young boys game uh, or whatever game from one of these top flights European leagues uh, to 11, and, and then they see, they notice that there's a, there's a local team or there's a regional team near them that's also streaming on there that they might go ahead and watch that game too. Um, yeah, that's yeah. possible. All right, let's move on to the listener mailbag. Uh, first up is uh, Josessa, and uh, uh, he or she says, uh, last weekend was clear proof 
why why it is necessary that nobody has a monopoly in the presentation of European soccer. It was Soccerfest, not just on NBC, but also on uh, CBS and ESPN, over the air or streaming. Who cares as long as there is a network competition and production creativity that will ultimately result in customer satisfaction? And that's a good point, too, because... um, I mean, we had so much soccer uh, available. I mean, every week- weekend we do, but this, this past Sunday was uh, one special day uh, in addition. And, and there were so many options uh, to choose from, whether it's over there, streaming, whatever it is. I mean, there's more soccer than ever before uh, available to us. Uh, in regards to Fox and the talk about them um, acquiring the Euro 2024 and t- 2028 uh, broadcast rights, Chris says, when it comes to Fox... Acquiring the rights to the Euros and the UEFA Nations League, I think it's a massive boost for their future with soccer beyond the 2026 World Cup. One reason why they were able to get these rights is because a few weeks ago, the Pac-12, one of Fox's major college football conferences, basically said they are leaning towards going with CBS and ESPN in their next TV deal that begins in 2023. Freeing, freeing up funds for Fox to use. This basically ensures that Fox will still be involved with the game in some way, although I think they will likely lose the World Cup rights after 2026, along with the U.S. national team and Major League Soccer rights. A question that I have about the Premier League rights is, given the partnership that they have with the NCAA March Madness, do you see Turner and CBS partnering up for the Premier League rights? So, Kartik and Kyle, you guys are the college football experts. I am not. Uh, and you guys probably ha- uh, have a lot more uh, knowledge about the NCAA March Madness and, and how a possible tie-up could work or would be possible. So, how, how do you guys go go for it? Yeah, I'll jump in on, on the Turner CBS uh, piece first. And I we speculated about that when Champions League went to Turner and it didn't materialize. And the Turner-CBS partnership in... Uh, in NCAA coverage was very much a shotgun marriage created by the NCAA prior to 2010 when that package began. Uh, the uh, CBS had all uh, 63 games from the NCAA tournament and were showing uh, games regionally. And there would be there would be issues when they would switch games. There would be issues where uh, where kind of the lines were. Let's say, I mean, we we had several seasons where both Miami and Florida qualified for the NCAA tournament and were tipping off at the same time. There was one specific year, I remember it. And the, the affiliates weren't sure in, in Florida which, which game you show, right? Um, and so this, this solved some of those problems because of uh, regional clusters, et cetera. I don't think it was the kind of partnership that necessarily we saw. We saw in the late 90s, uh, after they had both lost the NFL rights, Turner and NBC partner on a number of different properties, including the XFL, the ill-fated XFL uh, 1.0. And that was more of a partnership where you would see Craig Sager, the late Craig Sager, show up on NBC or NBC personality on, on TNT. We've also had um, golf partnerships prior to uh, the Golf Channel nabbing all the early round rights. So USA, which was owned by NBC Universal uh, would, would have the first two rounds of, of golf tournaments that were third and fourth round on CBS, and you'd see some cross-talenting uh, there. Uh, you still have it, actually, with ESPN and CBS, right, with the Masters, where you will see some CBS personalities on ESPN. So I guess it's possible. 
On the Pac-12 rights specifically, I know the former commissioner of the Pac-12 uh, that uh, negotiated that Fox deal. That I, I think that the, the feeling was that um, the, the Pac-12, previously the Pac-10, had had a long-term relationship with Fox Sports Regional Networks. They were based on the West Coast uh, in L.A., uh, Fox was, and, and that went back to the late 90s. And it was a very important part of what the Pac-10 and Pac-12 did. Now that Fox has lost that, those regional sports networks, now that that's gone, um, those are in Sinclair's hands. I don't think the Pac-12, I, I agree with the assessment. I think they're going to dump Fox with their new commissioner and uh, probably uh, go with, I, I guess, uh, the, the comments of CBS uh, potentially, which uh, I wasn't aware of. But I can, I can very easily see why they dump, would dump Fox because having the knowledge of what they did in the past, it was largely based on the FSNs that would show Pac-12 games. Uh, Pac-10 prior to that, throughout the country, the regional sports networks that would give the Pac-10 effectively uh, an additional window in addition to what they had on Fox Network and then on Fox's national cable channels. They also had a lot of Pac-10, Pac-12 games on Fox sports regional channels. And that was the big incentive for that conference back uh, when they negotiated that deal. Kyle, anything to add on that one that's pretty comprehensive from Kartik? (laughs) Yeah, not really. Um, I'm still kind of finding my footing in terms of all the uh, the rights business. Um, again, right now, I'm, I'm more of someone, especially for, for American sports, that uh, I know what happens on the field, but off of it, I'm, I'm as clueless as they come, pretty much. But uh, So yep. I would just say, uh, yeah, Kartik got it spot on. <laughs> I, I would say... As, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as far as Chris's question about, like, uh, do we see Turner and CBS partnering for the Premier League rights, I, w- I would say no on that one, a, a definite no. Reason being is that CBS... Uh, I mean, if they did acquire the rights to the Premier League, it's it's all going to be about Paramount+. Plus. If Turner acquired the rights to the Premier League, it would be, be all about HBO Max, putting as many games, uh, sports games, soccer games on HBO Max. And the two of them are competing uh, head-to-head. I don't see that happening at all. EPL writes, Danny Schmidt says, uh, this is talking about the, uh, the recent... Um, you mean, kind of developments about the Premier League TV deal and uh, the bidding and uh, basically a bidding war, really. Danny Schmidt says the recent Paramount and Peacock partnerships in Europe may point to NBC and CBS combining to get the rights. Adolfo says, my take on your conversation on Premier League rights. I'm a big Premier League fan and I enjoy the coverage NBC and especially Telemundo provides. I will not follow the Premier League if they go to ESPN as I feel that their coverage of their soccer properties is overblown. Hard part of listening to your podcast is the constant praise of ESPN. One thing that was not brought up in your discussion on uh, Premier League rights is that the NFL, which in this country rules the sports landscape, will make sure their TV partners know nothing should interfere with their uh, make sure that the TV partners uh, that nothing should interfere with their current coverage. I don't care what billions will be spent on the TV rights for the Premier League package. They are. They and other soccer properties will always be second fiddle to the NFL. Mercator says a split of the rights is the worst possible outcome. It's bad enough already trying to figure out where a game is with the NBC channels and Peacock. Now add in a second broadcaster with a few channels and their streaming service. It would be an effective price increase for for consumers. I would rather any network, even Fox, get the rights exclusively before any split. ESPN or CBS exclusively would be best. 
they would put all the games on streaming. ESPN and Fox would be the best split. Big games on linear, Fox, FS1, FS2, uh, available to stream in 4K, everything else on ESPN+. I don't care as much about the Premier League broadcasts. The Premier League uh, itself produces so much good stuff. The broadcaster can really do nothing and show the world feed, and it is great. Fetchin says, I don't want a split happening between two networks, especially with NBC. Either they are getting the whole 380 games, or probably probably they won't want it at all. NBC would not want to pay more for less games, is what essentially happened uh, with the NHL. I see NBC spending $250 million to $275 million per year for nine years instead of, instead of six years. NBC could go after the, the FA Cup as well. Paramount Plus should focus on the Serie A and the Champions League. ESPN has too many properties right now. Bundesliga and La Liga should be their focus. Fox? Oh, hell no. I like competition, so therefore NBC should keep it. As much as I would want to split... Um, uh, between two networks, we have to be realistic. It will be NBC and CBS maybe teaming teaming up to get the rights. And if they were able to, able to do this and maybe offer a bundle for Showtime, Paramount Plus and Peacock to market the Premier League in the US to boost subscribers, then it's a steal. They have a bundle in Europe that's launching in 2022 called uh, Sky Showtime. Yeah, and Kartik, that's definitely... Um, that's something. I mean, like we know that CBS, uh, Viacom, CBS, and uh, NBC Universal, owned by Comcast, have done deals in Europe to uh, basically kind of partner, uh, part Paramount Plus and Peacock together. And um, because in in the UK and in Europe, Sky's got a better name. They're going to call it Sky Showtime and and have a lot of the uh, broadcasts from. Uh, Showtime, which is part of the Viacom CBS family, uh, partner with uh, with uh, with Peacock and, and NBC, and call it Sky Showtime. So th- there's definitely some uh, some collaborations that already happened, some kind of teaming up, and who knows, this could happen in the in the US too. Yeah, so I think ultimately the thing for our listeners to remember is at this point, everybody is seeing Disney as as the enemy, and. Any combination of people teaming up, particularly when we're talking specifically about soccer, teaming up against ESPN is, in theory, possible in this market and all over the world. So Disney has, uh, has, a, has a huge advantage right now uh, in terms of their global reach uh, with, with streaming and, and uh, also, in many cases, with broadcast after they purchase the 21st century at, uh, Fox assets. So... Uh, that's something to remember. And so it's possible it could happen here. Jacinio says, I'm going to predict that, the, that if the Premier League goes, uh, if the Premier League does not go to NBC, they will go to CBS due to the fact that they have the capabilities of broadcasting the Saturday 1230 US Eastern Time match on the main CBS network and still have CBS Sports Network cable channel for the other televised matches. It would be either next year or the year after that CBS will have more flexibility from not broadcasting college football in the early afternoons. Quite a few people fail to remember that NBC retiring NBCSN has caused a lot of commo- a lot of commotion, and that is why they eventually lost the NHL and they deemed ESPN Plus to be the better streaming service as opposed to Pe- to Peacock. Personally, I think the Premier League on Paramount Plus has a better ring to it. 
if they are able to fix their picture quality, they would win our hearts and minds long term. JP uh, saying, uh, saying no other league can, can compete with the entertainment in the Premier League right now is presumptuous. Follow any league closely and you'll find weekends with just as much excitement. It's all a matter of taste. And, and absolutely, JP. I mean, yeah, I we all we, we all love soccer. We all love different leagues from around the world. Um, but what's happening right now with the Premier League in terms of the entertainment and excitement levels and everything going on there is the main thing that most people are talking about. Even though there's in great title races in other countries from around the world, um, it's you I mean yes, yes. We're not we're not saying that any of the other leagues don't matter. We're just saying that the Premier League right now is on a hot streak. They haven't always been on a hot streak, but um, they are very entertaining. As is other leagues too. I, I would let me just jump in for a second here. I think part of the reason why the Premier League has elevated itself. I think Serie A was the most entertaining league in the, in, uh, the world, or at least in Europe, uh, the last few years. Bundesliga has had some really good years, and Bundesliga entertainment's based largely on teams not playing de- defense, right? So that's, that's, that's good and bad. But um, I, I think it's Kyle mentioned that his game match of the week to watch is Wolves and Everton. That is why the Premier League has elevated itself, in my, my opinion, is that you can watch uh, a Wolves match. You can watch a Southampton match. You can watch Brentford this season. And you could watch Brighton each of the last two seasons and be very entertained. You don't have to watch top teams. You could watch uh, those, those clubs. And if you take the same, uh, same level clubs in, in the other leagues in Europe, you don't necessarily get the same level of entertainment as you do from those clubs. So that would be part of my premise, uh, at least as far as this season is concerned. In last week's podcast, we talked about the uh, top 20 most popular soccer teams in America based on some research by Guilt Edge Soccer Marketing. And there was a, a, a large response from a lot of you, the listeners. First up is Mario Garcia. And uh, Mario says, maybe it has some sampling issues, the poll, because Mexican teams performed really bad compared with the ratings they get in the U.S. on television. Raymond says, was this survey done to the bilingual audience or just English only? I question the results. I don't have any problem with Manchester City nor its ownership, but I find it a little difficult to believe that there are more City fans than Club America fans. But what I find laughable and makes me question the validity of this survey completely is that LA Galaxy is more popular than Chivas. The Galaxy are outnumbered by Chivas fans when they play in Southern California the majority of the time. I went to a Super Classico down in Chicago pre-COVID. It was sold out at Soldier Field with almost a 50-50 crowd of Chivas and Club America fans. LA Galaxy, if, if LA Galaxy plays Chicago Fire in Chicago, you're lucky if there's 2,000 fans in the stadium. About six years ago, Chivas played uh, your Swansea City, Chris, here in Milwaukee, and there must have been 20,000 Chivas fans. You'd be lucky if there's 20 Galaxy fans in the whole state of Wisconsin. Let, let, let me jump in real quickly here, Chris, because the Chivas thing has come up uh, for the last week since Guilt, Ed, Guilt, Ed, Guilt Edge's survey came out. And 
the, the, the fact remains this. I, I, I agree, actually, on, on the comments about Club America and about uh, maybe other Mexican clubs, Monterey being lower than I had thought, Cruz Azul being lower than I thought, Tigres not being ranked at all. Uh, Tigres, I think, has always been top five in support. But um, in terms of Chivas, they were off television for several years in this country. They have been uh, an absolute train wreck in terms of management. Uh, and their owner, Vergara, died a few seasons ago, and now his uh, son is running the team. They, um, th- their popularity, their scope, their, um, their level of support in the United States unquestionably has gone down in the last decade. No question about it. So I, I actually think uh, at this point, seeing Cruz Azul so many spots behind Chivas surprised me. And I think maybe there were sampling errors, but on the Chivas thing, I, I buy that they've diminished completely. And, and the people I've talked to in the last week completely agree with that. And some were surprised they were so high, quite frankly. Okay, Kyle. So you play in an outdoor men's soccer league. I mean, you've got friends. You go outside and you kind of uh, you mean, uh, gravitate around kind of the Tampa, St. Petersburg area of uh, Florida, which is a very soccer-centric market. Uh, has had teams in the past in MLS, has the Tampa Bay Rowdies. But on a normal month or a normal year, for example, what are most of the shirts that you see people wearing? What are the most popular ones? Uh, I got to say they're the the teams from from Europe. I see a lot of Manchester United jerseys. I've seen a lot of Cristiano Ronaldo jerseys from his his current Manchester United jersey. It's uh, remarkable. Uh, No surprises there, I suppose. Uh, what a draw he is, but I also see a lot of Real Madrid and Barcelona jerseys. I do not see a lot of, or I, I, let me rephrase that, I don't see any MLS teams. I think I've seen maybe a handful of Orlando City jerseys, just because, you know, sometimes fan, that's like the, the closest MLS club, so, but I see more Orlando City jerseys than I do uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies jerseys. I got to say, either I'm not recognizing them or I just, I'm not seeing them. I don't see any uh, Liga MX jerseys. And I don't know why that is because I actually know people that, that watch the that watch Liga MX. And now um, maybe, I, I don't know what it is or why they're not wearing certain shirts. But, you know, I, those, are, those are just the main jerseys that I see uh, mm-hmm. walking around St. Petersburg. Yeah, so so there's no doubt that Liga MX is the most popular league in the United States, regardless of language, based on TV ratings. But what I would say is that, I mean, I, I hardly ever see any Chivas or Club America shirts, um, people wearing them in Florida or just wherever I'm traveling. It's very rare. But what I would say about some of these other teams, Manchester City is probably a good example of this, Kartik. Manchester City and other clubs too, not, it's not just Manchester City. But I see a lot of English-language fans of Manchester City. I see a lot of Spanish-language fans of Manchester City. I see a lot of Portuguese, uh, American-language uh, people-speaking uh, <laughs> people that are Manchester City fans. Manchester City has, a, if you're a Brazilian or if you're um, anywhere from South America or if you're of Spanish language, if you speak Spanish language, you're probably... You watch Manchester City quite often, not 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 for everyone, for example, but with Liga MX clubs, I think it's pretty much. I mean, for the most part, it's Spanish language audience. There's not a lot of English language yeah. uh, soccer fans that watch Liga MX. Yes, the games are available in English language. Not all of them, but uh, some of them are on Tudo Extra. But most people don't know about that. That 
And what I would say about Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, you go down the list and you do get fans on both sides of the equation, English language, Spanish language, and, and other languages. And you don't get that so much with Liga MX clubs. It's mostly Spanish language fans. And even then, you mean, you look at California, you look at uh, Chicago, you look at Houston, you look at Atlanta. In these cities in, across the United States, there are large numbers of uh, Mexican-American soccer fans. But outside of those cities, and you look at nationwide, I'm sure there's a lot of areas where there's not a lot of fans. And, and that's something that's different with, say, a Manchester City or a Real Madrid or Barcelona, is you'll have fans from across the entire nation, English language and Spanish language and other languages too. All right, next up, British British commentators. Nick had some uh, feedback about that uh, on a poll that also uh, Gilt Edge Soccer Marketing did, and this was in regards to how many Americans prefer British commentators. Nick says, regarding your discussion on British versus American commentary and which commentators are your favorites, I almost never watch with a TV commentary and always sync up the radio commentary with a game. I don't do this because I don't think the, com- the commentators on television are good, but the radio adds, a, adds an extra dimension by going around to the different grounds and usually incorporates more crowd noise. I do this for almost all Serie A games, as the commentators, except for Bonetti and Cordero, are not very good in my opinion, as well as most Premier League games, particularly when there are other games on simultaneously. I'd recommend everyone uh, at least try this to see if they like it. It has made my soccer viewing experience much more enjoyable. I've tried it and it works really well. Sometimes syncing it up so it's exactly that the radio commentary is synced up with the TV commentary. Sometimes it's off by a second or two, but uh, I have tried it to mix things up now and again, and it's it's enjoyable. It's it's easier to watch TV and have the commentary right there, but. Um, I definitely see Nick's points there. All right, this is a big one right here. This is a question from Aram. And he says, we've gone from no subs in soccer to one, only for injury, to two, to three, and now to five under a, a law in soccer that uh, is going to be, um, I think next year, I think actually uh, published where there will be five subs allowed in soccer. What logical argument is there now to prevent, say, seven subs or maybe 11 subs? At this point, why not even allow players to rest and then sub back in, like in college soccer? Kyle, what's your, what's your viewpoint on this in terms of uh, five substitutions which will be allowed, I believe, starting uh, next season for a lot of leagues around the world, but uh, it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, um, it's funny. I'm trying to um, just take an Aram's comment and he just said, uh, go from 5 to 7 to 11 and uh, take it even further. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, at that point, might as well just make it like hockey substitutions where players can just run off the field, run on whenever they want. But uh, <laughs> just thinking about all the different possibilities. But uh, I think Aram's got a point. I mean, what logical argument do we have outside of tradition? And we're already seeing with the move to 5 subs, which personally I'm a, I'm a fan of. I thought, because uh, right now I'm actually researching stuff for uh, how players are overextending themselves with uh, so many club games and they don't have breaks in the offseason because they're all locked up with international duty but um, so personally I'm a fan of the five substitutions so I think Aram's got a point um, you know I can't think of a logical argument outside of it's just the nature of the game um, endurance is a part of it um, 
So I think five's a, a okay number. It sure errs on the the higher side if you're especially if you're trying to still push the endurance side of the game. Uh, sevens and especially eleven are just uh, too high. But five's kind of a, I think a solid number. I thought three was you could argue it was perfect just because you got it's just more tactical. Uh, five gives managers a lot of leeway, a lot of room for error, you could argue. Um, so, But I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I thought it was important, especially with COVID, uh, with all the players coming back on short notice. Uh, so I think it should be interesting what it's like as a permanent law in the game. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when I watch college football, uh, college soccer, I just can't say college soccer, college soccer, I, I, it, it's sometimes in the past I've watched it and it's been laughable. Like the subs going in and out, it's like, come on, this is ridiculous. You're basically changing almost the whole team right here. Um, but we have gotten to a point where everything from COVID to concussions uh, to injuries and also to, you mean, the types of footwear that players wear are, you mean, lighter and thinner than ever before, and it's it's easier for them to get. Uh, injured, as well as the speed of the game has, has sped up quite a lot more than, say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You, you keep on going back, it's a lot faster. So I see the understanding of five. I just hope it doesn't get beyond that. Um, and Kyle, you mentioned doing the research. This is for an article that you're writing for worldsoccertalk.com about um, players being you know, basically being played too much, playing too many games throughout the calendar there's no break it seems and whether it's leagues or cup competitions or international duties uh it is wear and tear on their body and and there is a there is an argument to be uh to had to say that yeah five makes sense where where do you uh, come down on this car are you for it or against it for five i'm very much for five i think uh, you could even push to seven at some point. Uh, uh, re-entry, no way. And I still think uh, you should be able to dress only 18 guys. I, I actually don't like that they push that to 20. So basically, you can make, um, and if you only dress 18 guys, you're never going to make seven substitutions unless a goalkeeper gets hurt, right? Because you're, you're logically going to put a goalkeeper on the bench. Now, I remember back in the days when it was five on the bench in England, and Neil Warnock would try and cheat and not put a... Uh, 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 Neil Warnock in particular, maybe some other managers did this, try and cheat and not put a uh, a goalkeeper on the bench and try and get away with five field subs uh, and make three subs from those five players. You could do that, I guess, but you're running a risk. So I think what you do is you allow seven subs eventually, but you only allow 18 to dress. And then that really kind of limits your options still, and you only allow three windows. So if you allow seven subs, it still has to be in three windows. Unless maybe you, you, you have the allowance for an emergency concussion sub being outside a window or an emergency goalkeeper sub, uh, but nothing else. So that way you keep the flow of the match going. Because I think additional subs isn't the problem. It's the additional stoppages that's the problem. So if you keep three mm-hmm. windows, uh, you, I think you can go as high as seven. Yeah, the stoppages is definitely an issue. It just seems to be some managers, they're playing within the rules, but so many stoppages throughout the game. And then, uh, you mean, referees blowing the whistle more now than in the past anyway for every little niggly foul. And then it ends up being that just stop, start, stop, start. There's not that flow of the game. 
This is why also uh, Gab Marcotti, he's been a particular advocate of this, uh, guys, that uh, he he wants to go to a 60-minute clock where you do have stoppages uh, because he believes that if you're forced to – you're not playing actually 60 minutes of, uh, of live football, live soccer right now. You're actually somewhere between 52 and 54 minutes because of all the stoppages. So if you force a 60-minute clock, then you will get actually more action. Uh, and it would be 60 minutes without – there would be no stoppage time then. Now, that would take away some of the drama of the game. I'm not necessarily for that, but I have become a little more intrigued by it as we've seen stoppages increase in games. He, he's been talking about it for several seasons, and uh, I, I thought it was a laughable notion at first. But uh, So that's another thing to think about long term in terms of reforms. Yeah, yeah. And then you have water breaks, and then you have uh, VAR and, and kind of yeah. uh, stoppages for that. Ugh. <laughs> the game has changed a lot. Uh, we're going to go through these pretty quickly because we're running out of time and we've got a lot of feedback to get to still. Giovanni asks, uh, now that Newcastle United was brought uh, bought by a very wealthy owner, can you name five European clubs that are sleeping giants if you were a billionaire instead of buying a football club? Uh, what club would you invest your money into? Kartik, you've given your answers, uh, did the research ahead of time, which is great. Uh, Leeds United, uh, Olympic Marseille, AS Roma, Valencia, and West Ham United. I think that those are those yeah. are some uh, there's, there's, good bit good, good uh, guesses there. Oh, not guesses. Uh, educated, uh, informative responses there. I think those are good teams. And most importantly, it would get uh, Peter Lim out of Valencia, which I think would please all the fans there. <laughs> if someone bought the club, some billionaire bought the club. All right, El Clasico feedback here from Adam. A- Adam says, hi, Chris Kartik, and welcome, Kyle. As always, I enjoy the pod immensely. I have a few notes concerning your conversation about arguably the biggest game in Spanish soccer last weekend. I understand the disappointment to not have the fixture on one of the normal ESPN channels. However, I would like to point out that there have been several other Premier League derbies which have only aired on Peacock, which is a similar price point to ESPN. So NBC shares some of the blame for um, accessing or accessing top matches too. More to the point about watching El Clasico, I spoke uh, with a friend who is from Madrid and will actually be in Spain uh, this past weekend. Uh, And he told me that the match is not available on over-the-air or linear TV in Spain. Uh, I thought that that might interest uh, some of your listeners. And not to go too far back into the past, but Chris, I have to push back slightly on a point you made several weeks ago concerning the lack of American players in La Liga. I believe at the time you overlooked Serginio Dest, who typically features for Barcelona. Hopefully more will come over as time goes by. And, and yes, Adam, uh, I, I forgot to mention Serginio. And, but overall, other than Serginio, there is I mean, what, uh, and then uh, Musa, who's at uh, Valencia. Overall, there's l- a lack of an American connection between La Liga and the U.S. Um, and you have it more in Serie A, you have it more in the Bundesliga, you have it to a certain degree in the Premier League, and it does create a connection. It's just that I think that uh, La Liga, you mean not having that many Americans. Uh, doesn't help help the league any in any way. Greg says, El Clasico, you're right that it's odd for it not to be on ESPN Linear, and maybe it's just to, a push to get ESPN Plus signups, 
but I'll bet lots of money that there is no way they sell ad time for as much money for this match than they do for NFL Countdown. So that's a non-starter. Maybe ESPN2's fantasy show can be moved to ESPN News so that El Clasico can be on ESPN2, but they are not bumping their flagship NFL preview show for a soccer match not involving the U.S. national team. For ABC, the timing conflicts with public affairs and news programming, and that's not getting bumped. The next El Clasico is the weekend of March 20th to the 22nd, so I'll bet they'll put it on ESPN or ESPN2, maybe even ABC. There's also a Supercopa de de España match on January 12th, but I bet it will mostly feature B-teamers from each side. Good points there from both uh, Greg and Adam. And last but not least, uh, Jason asks, do you think we will start seeing European clubs return to, return to the U.S. for off-season training again? Certainly for the summer of 2022, but maybe even some of the clubs on winter break in a couple of months. So both, actually all three of us, Kyle, uh, Kartik and myself all live and work in Florida. And oftentimes in the winter break, uh, we have some of the German teams come, whether it's... Uh, near Kyle in Bradenton and uh, also sometimes in South Florida Uh, oftentimes we've had it in Orlando where we've had Schalke and other teams come to South Florida and uh, to Central Florida for the uh, not just the playing conditions but also the weather Uh, but lately it seems to be more of the German clubs heading to Doha to play games there or to train there but other than that what about next summer Kartik and I know that uh, you've got your finger on the pulse of uh, the uh, European calendars, and also we've got a World Cup coming up soon too. Uh, what's the likelihood that we'll get a lot of European clubs coming to the U.S. next summer? Well, when German clubs have also begun to choose Turkey also over Florida. That's uh, been another piece of competition. Ajax and PSV still are often coming to Florida during the winter, during the Dutch winter break. So that's uh, that's a positive. Uh, we've had games also in St. Pete, by the way, right, right by Kyle, uh, with German clubs, Wolfsburg and others uh, have come to uh, Lang. Uh, you know, I think the calendar is really congested this summer because you have to start the seasons earlier because of... Uh, because of the World Cup being in Doha, uh, in Qatar, in Doha and, and other parts of Qatar. So, uh, and uh, breaking November 12th. I think November 12th is the date that uh, European seasons will cease next season and, and break until January or late December. So I'm guessing nobody comes. What about you? 2023 would be the next time they would come. What about you, Kyle? What do you think? Any sense for... Uh well, first of all, the appetite for uh, these clubs coming the next summer, but also do you think uh, some of them may come? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think about the uh, the relationship between the World Cup in uh, 2022 and the ensuing winter break. Um, that just never even crossed my mind, but that's definitely an interesting part because I know that the clubs are going to have to take a break, or the players are at least going to have to take a break before they return to their clubs. Um, but... Uh, I'm not sure when they'll come over. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. You can't complain about the weather here in Florida during the winter. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I know a lot of teams, uh, interesting about Qatar and, uh, you know, the whole Middle East, and including Turkey. I know a lot of clubs are starting to move out there just because the growth in that area. So I think, uh, I don't know, it's kind of uh, a tangent, but just the 
the whole relationship between whether or not they go to to Florida or the Middle East or anything like that, somewhere where it's still warm. But uh, yeah, I don't know uh, when they'll return or actually where they will turn. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, it's possible that we might see like a club like Wrexham come into the United States, especially with uh, U.S. owners and them playing some friendlies uh, in the U.S., which is not going to bring massive crowds, but th- there will be interest in that. Uh, the other thing that's been happening in the last couple of years uh, more often is that as soon as the Premier League season's done, within a few days, whether it's Manchester City coming to New York or Arsenal coming to play in New Jersey, um, that's been happening more and more where, you I mean, the season's not completely done uh, in terms of the players uh, being let go for the summer to, to take a break. So they've been pushing more on, on that. And that's a possibility that we might see. But overall... I don't think there's much of a chance of uh, any major meaningful games being played here in the summer of 2022. Uh, And of course, we'll have some coming um, during the winter break, but those winter breaks are getting shorter and shorter, it seems. And um, especially with, you mean, you mean COVID and restrictions and you mean everything that the hoops that that, uh, teams and clubs have to jump through to to actually even come here uh, and travel. And it's just too many risks. All right, listeners, if you've got something that you want to ask us, we'd love to read your comment out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, summing up, uh, Kartik, another big weekend of football from around the world. Uh, we've got our recommended matches that we're going to be watching, and I'm sure you, the listeners, have your own too. But uh, what are you going to be doing, Kartik, and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 